Hey, Upsassnacks, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week is my first episode of discussing Men in Kilts, a road trip with Sam and Graham. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander seasons 7 and 8, as well as Blood of My Blood and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into episode 1 of Men in Kilts, Food and Drink. It has been a hot minute, folks, since I have done a just pre-recorded episode with all the edits and all the music, so I'm really excited to get back at it. My series on Men and Kilts has been brewing for a little bit. I've been contemplating and fine-tuning and tweaking, and I finally decided that I was going to read Clan Lands again and then break it down by the topics of men in kilts and kind of give you a combined experience because I feel like that's the best way to do this. After all, Sam and Graham did intend for Clanlands to be men in kilts. So I felt like it was only fitting that we really took those experiences and kind of melded them together. As we progress on with this series of episodes that I'm doing. I'm going to be incorporating some little details from Clanlands as well as my own experiences in Scotland because I have been several times and I absolutely love it there. This is really just an opportunity for me to fawn over how much I love Scotland as a country, how much I love Sam and Graham, how excited I am to see them doing a second season of Men in Kilts, even though it is out in the wilds of New Zealand and I have no idea what to expect, but I'm super excited excited. So without further ado, let's get into the food and drink portion of Men in Kilts. And can I just say, do not watch this episode while you are hungry (laughs) because everything they were eating, I was just like, oh my God, that looks so good. Oh, that looks so good. I'm a seafood fan anyway. So when they were eating the scallops and the prawns and the lobster, I just wanted it all. So they start out talking about the national food, I guess. And that would obviously be haggis. Anytime anybody mentions food in Scotland, haggis is one of the first things that comes to mind. And, you know, I had been to Scotland twice before I went this past summer, and I had never tried haggis. It was an American thing. I just could not wrap my head around. I didn't think it sounded good. And the idea of what it is really kind of grossed me out a little bit. Um, And they do talk about what haggis is at the beginning of this episode. So haggis is sheep's heart, liver, and lungs all ground up. A lot of times it has oats or barley or something in it to kind of give it the consistency of a pudding. And then it is baked in a sheep's stomach, quite often with whiskey poured over it at the end. 
as an American. And if you are listening and you are an American, you know that we don't typically eat that kind of food here in the United States. We're very much just the meat, like pork butt or beef shoulder or whatever. Like, you know, we don't eat the innards very often. I'm not sure how it is in other countries, but that's just not something that's incorporated in our culture here in the United States. So I was very hesitant to try it, but it's one of those things that every time I went to Scotland and every time I came back, I was constantly asked, did you try haggis? Did you try haggis? So this last time that I went to Scotland, I actually tried a myriad of things that I had never tried before. I got actually a full Scottish breakfast, which included blood pudding and haggis. So I did try both of them. Was not a fan. It was a texture thing for me, not necessarily a flavor thing. It didn't taste bad. It just didn't have much consistency. So I don't know if I got bad haggis or what. I mean, it didn't make me sick or anything, but I just, I didn't like the texture. It was very mushy. Blood pudding, kind of the same. Like it it wasn't that it had a bad flavor. It was actually very sagey, but yeah, just again, didn't care for the texture of it. So I really do encourage you guys to try new things when you go to Scotland. You might find something that you really love. Lord knows I've found so many different foods that I love in Scotland. I was introduced to sticky toffee pudding in Scotland, which is one of my all-time favorite desserts. You will never convince me otherwise. I've actually made my own sticky toffee pudding, which is a hell of a process, but I fell in love with it in Scotland. This last time that I went to Scotland, I actually tried Andalusian food, which isn't Scottish, but is Spanish. And again, it was fantastic. So I really urge you guys to just try new things every now and then, and you'll find new things you like, I promise. But nonetheless, this is what this episode is all about, is appreciating Scotland for its food and drink. They visit a couple of different restaurants while on this episode. The first is The Kitchen, where Tom Kitchen is the chef. It's in Edinburgh. It's a Michelin star restaurant. And, you know, being from the humble beginnings of a Midwestern family, I'm not for Michelin star fancy food, okay? I actually tend to steer away from that whenever I visit cities because I just feel like you don't get your money's worth at a Michelin star restaurant. Like the food might be really good, but you leave and you're still hungry. That's kind of just my cross to bear on Michelin star restaurants, I guess. But nevertheless, the food looked amazing at the kitchen. They tried these baked scallops, which I just died when they cracked open open that shell and it was this beautiful scallops in it. It looked amazing. I love scallops anyway. Generally speaking, I love seafood. The only seafood that I will not touch is oysters. And I have tried them before. It's not like a, ew, they look so gross. I'm not going to try it. No, I, I don't like the flavor. I've tried them a couple of times. They taste like burnt broccoli is, is how I think they taste. And then when you eat them raw, like on the half shell, I... No, that's a texture thing for me, but I have tried them, I promise. So everything that they had, whether it was the prawns or the lamb shoulder or the scallops, they all looked to die for. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't tempted to try the kitchen just based off of this episode, which is the whole motivation for restaurants and brands putting their things into shows like this is to draw in new people to try out their product. So 
in that regard, I guess it was very successful, Tom Kitchen having his restaurant and his food on this show. And then from there, they move over to the Kingdom of Fife, which is like the only kingdom within Scotland these days. It's called the Kingdom of Fife for reasons that I cannot remember at this point. But it's on the east coast of Scotland, which is famous for its seafood. And I loved that Sam and Graham really went, they showed them out on the boat. They showed how fishermen bring in their catch every day and how they practice sustainable practices in that they only keep the bigger stuff. They don't keep everything that they catch because then the catch just gets smaller and smaller and less and less valuable. And eventually that's how species become endangered or extinct because it's the same idea as overhunting. Species eventually go extinct because of unsustainable practices. So in that regard, I really did appreciate how they showed you can have your cake and eat it too. When I was in Scotland, I actually visited a sustainable oyster farm as part of one of my tours that I took. And it was really cool to see how they do this. They put little baby oysters in these net sacks and then they take them out into a sea lock and put them on these concrete pedestals just under the surface of the water and they let them grow for years and years and they go out and they check on them every three to six months and they shake the bag to make sure that they're not growing into or out of the bag. Whenever they're big enough to harvest, they bring them in and they harvest them and then they put new oysters out in their place. So they're not taking anything away from the natural flow of things. The oysters are growing naturally in their natural environment, but they're not just throwing oysters out into the sea lock. You don't have to worry about invasive species or taking away from the natural population. It's a very cool process. And as a person that's always looking for greener ways to do things and to have less of an impact on our environment, I thought that that was really fantastic. And so you've got practices like these going through all the different types of business in Scotland, really. It's a very green country and and they're working harder and harder, I think, to try to minimize their impact. But we see just a small way of doing that in how they fish sustainably. And then we get to probably one of my favorite parts of this episode, the Tony Singh cooking by the sea. This lobster that he makes looks amazing, (laughs) y'all. And even Sam like doing his little happy dance, right? Whenever he takes a bite of that and he's just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I love how him and Graham just turn around and look at the scenery, quote unquote, while he's sending sending the lobsters to Valhalla, as he says. I thought that was funny. And I like how they're helping Tony Cook by being his little sous chefs. The whole purpose of Men and Kilts, I feel like, is to be this lighthearted, fun road trip between friends. It's not supposed to be serious. In fact, it can be quite cheesy at times, but that's kind of the joy of watching a show like this is that it's not intended to be very serious and documentary-like, you know? And you learn a little bit along the way, which I really am personally quite fond of. We're trying out 
langoustine and lobster in this little cooking session that they're having with Tony Singh. And langoustines, actually, I have a really funny story with langoustines, right? This last time when I went to Scotland, after having seen Men in Kilts, I really, really, really wanted to try a little bit of seafood. And so I had scallops one night and I really wanted to try langoustine. And for those of you in the United States that are like, what the hell is a langoustine? It's basically like a baby lobster crossed with a shrimp. We call them prawns here. That's basically what they are. And I really wanted to try langoustine. And we were staying in a little village called Plockton. Out in the middle of nowhere, Scotland, it was this pristine little town. I think it has a population of like 80 people. It only has two restaurants in the entire village and they are in the hotels, the two village inns. So there is one man in this tiny little 80 person village that goes out and gets all the langoustine. Like he's a langoustine fisherman. He had hurt his back that week. So neither of the restaurants in this little little village had langoustines and it was their most popular dish on the menu. And so everyone in the restaurant was like, yeah, I'll have the langoustine. And they were like, "Mm, we can't. Our fisherman hurt his back and we don't have any langoustines this week. So (laughs) that I tried. Sam and Graham, if you're listening, Tony Singh, if you're listening, I tried to have langoustines and it just didn't work out. But I found it interesting that whenever they were talking to Tom Kitchen about the variety of food that they have in Scotland, he referred to it as the envy of the world, Scotland's larder, which is basically just the variety of food. A larder, I believe, is a freezer or like where you get food from, I guess, a pantry or whatever. I thought it was really interesting that Tom was talking about how Other countries in Europe really praise Scotland for their food choices, for their produce, for their seafood. We talk about their potatoes, their Angus beef, and all of the stuff we've been talking about heretofore. Scallops, oysters, langoustines, lobster, halibut, whatever. You have to try these things whenever you go to Scotland. Because if you go to France, if you go to the coast of Spain, a lot of that seafood that you're trying is actually fish or like harvested off the coast of Scotland. Graham is so funny. Like this, this is really his wheelhouse, this episode. And you can really tell, especially when they're at the kitchen. And he was like, my taste buds just don't know what's happening right now. And that is something that we really see in Clanlands a lot. Every night, Graham is ordering this delicious meal of whatever, like appetizers and entrees and desserts. And he's always got to have a good bottle of wine. And it's so funny because here's Graham with this diversified palate. And then Sam, on the other hand, like, don't get me wrong, Sam appreciates a good meal, but he's also one that is completely content with a good bowl of porridge in the morning. Sam has a love affair. Like, I'm going to go as far as to say that Sam has a love affair with porridge or oatmeal, as we call it here in the U.S. And he talks in Clanlands about how he'll eat anything in porridge. Protein powder, bananas, nuts, berries, jam, peanut butter, whiskey, even an egg on top sometimes. And I was like halfway on board until he started talking about putting an egg on top of his oatmeal. I mean, I'm not an oatmeal person anyway. 
Again, it's a texture thing for me. I get that it is really good for you. And if you put the right things in it, it it's probably pretty good. But I have yet to try an oatmeal that I just think is to die for, right? It's one of those things that, yeah, I would eat it if I was starving and I had nothing else to eat, of course. And that's why it's such a popular thing in Scotland is because Scotland historically is a very poor country, especially up in the Highlands. They didn't have a lot. And oatmeal was like life-sustaining food. It didn't take much to fill the bellies of these big families that a lot of Scottish families had. Oats are one of the few things that grow really well in Scottish soil up as you get into the Highlands. So porridge is a staple to the Scottish diet. But here in the US, we can grow so many different things in our soil that I feel like we're almost more picky is the problem. And I'm going to say that loud and proud, I guess. Like, I feel like we are kind of picky here in the US and we over flavor a lot of our food According to my friends who live in other countries, they're like, wow, you guys put a lot of seasoning and salt and pepper and whatever in your food. And we really do. So that when we go other places, a lot of times it can taste bland. But if you like get away from the fact that it doesn't have as much seasoning, you can really appreciate the natural flavor of things, which is also something that I feel like you need to take into account when you're visiting other countries that aren't your own. And I'm talking to you Americans because I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to that go to other countries outside of America and they're just like, the food is just gross. It's not gross. It's just something different from what you're used to. Anyway, so we're moving on from the food into the drink portion of this episode. And especially in clan lands, we talk a lot about alcohol. We talk about whiskey. We talk about gin. We talk about beer. We talk about Literally everything that you could think of is at one point in time mentioned in Clanlands, especially Graham's love affair with wine. If Sam has a love affair with whiskey, Graham has a love affair with wine. And it's not that Graham doesn't like whiskey, but his passion for whiskey is dwarfed next to Sam's passion for whiskey. And (laughs) Graham, like a good friend, is constantly poking fun at Sam's ability to flog his own product, saying that he would be an ambassador for hemorrhoid cream if somebody asked... (laughs) You know, in a loving sort of way, there's one particular instance of this kind of bashing back and forth when they're talking about Scottish beer. And Graham says, quote, for a long time, Scottish beer was rubbish. Nothing could rival their English counterparts with their bewildering number of brews. Abbott's, Sam Smith's, Green King, Fuller's London Pride, even Boddington's. The list is long. Scotland had tenants or flavored lavatory water. (laughs) Graham hates tenants. Funnily enough, that is the brand that Sam was the face of for three years. And in the course of being the face of tenants beer, Sam traveled the world doing commercials. He was like the heir to tenants. And this is how he came to meet Tim Downey who you might recognize as Governor Tryon from Outlander. 
this whole distaste for Scottish beer morphs into this story about how Sam met Tim and how they kind of just went all over the place filming these outlandish commercials for Tenant's Beer. And if you guys have time, do yourselves a favor, go to YouTube and look up some of these commercials for Tenant's Beer. It's so funny to see babyface Sam and Tim. Moving on from Tenant's Beer, we're going to talk about what we're all really here to talk about, which is whiskey. I will be the first to admit that I fell down the whiskey rabbit hole. I'm not a whiskey connoisseur by any means, but in all of my trips to Scotland and plus my favorite actor, Sam Hewen, having his own whiskey, of course, I've tried a few, right? And I will say that I had not tried a smoky whiskey until about a year ago. I bought a bunch of travel-sized whiskeys, different brands, different ages, different labels to bring home to my brother to try. I made a deal with him because I went by myself. While I was over there, I was going to try a different whiskey every day. So the first night that I was there, I was staying at this beautiful hotel called the Waverly Hotel. It's an older building. It's a local hotel. And I really try to support local businesses when I go over there because I don't want to support mass chains. I don't want to stay at an American hotel when I go to Europe, you know? So I try to stay in either Airbnbs or hotels that are like one and done. And so when I stayed at the Waverly, they have a fantastic little bar area with a lounge that overlooks Old Town because it's in Newtown on the other side of Waverly Station. I curled up in this fantastic wingbacked chair and got a glass of Oban whiskey and fell in love with my new favorite whiskey. And when I got home, I bought a bottle of it. And now when I need a little taste of Scotland, I just go and I get a glass of Oban. So I got three different bottles of whiskey for my brother to try, one of them being a Laphroaig. Now, I don't know if any of you have tried a Laphroaig. A lot of people like Petey whiskey, and I wanted to try a variety of things. So I think I got a Glenfiddich, I got a Laphroaig, and a, like a Glenmorangie maybe. We opened them up and like sniffed them, and <laughs> I thought this Laphroaig smelled like lighter fluid. There was just something about it, and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and so Laphroaig is the distillery that Sam and Graham visit in this episode, they're talking about the peat process and the malting of barley and the, the fermenting process and everything, which we'll go into a little bit later. But needless to say, after trying the Laphroaig, I was not a fan of smoky, peaty whiskeys. The tour guide that I was with when I selected this Laphroaig did warn me. He said, have you ever had a smoky whiskey before? And I said, no, I'm just going to try it. I promised my family I would bring home a variety of whiskeys to try. And he was like, okay, like, you know, admiring my fortitude <laughs> and trying not to be negative. And so, yeah, I just thought that I had resigned myself to being one of those people that didn't like a peaty whiskey. And then when I was in Scotland this last time, I got a signature blended whiskey from Culloden Battlefield for their 275th anniversary that they had specially bottled. It had a little bit of a smoky undertone, but it was miles 
like leagues of the sea away from the smoke peat taste of a Laphroaig. So this all being just to tell you that if you don't like Laphroaig whiskey, it doesn't mean that you don't like a little peat or smoke in your whiskey. It just means you need something with a little less peat or smoke in your whiskey. So on to how the distilling process works, because I actually find it quite fascinating. And to be honest, this whole process of creating scotch whiskey sounded extremely familiar because it is very similar to a type of liquor that we make here in the United States called bourbon. And I know a lot about bourbon because my dad loves bourbon. And growing up in Indiana, I am right down the road from Kentucky. And by right down the road, I mean probably a solid two, two and a half hour drive from the Bourbon Trail, which is this area of Kentucky where all of these bourbon distilleries are. And bourbon is a very exclusive club. There are legit rules that you have to follow in order for the alcohol that you make to be considered bourbon. The scotch process requires dried barley to be malted, and then they ferment it and distill pure alcohol from this barley. So whenever they're drying the barley, they smoke it with peat on Isla, which is where Sam and Graham are. They don't do this at all the distilleries. This is where scotch starts to differ from bourbon because for scotch, you can smoke it with peat if you want. You cannot smoke it with peat. And all over Scotland, there are different regions of Scotland where they make whiskey and that varies the taste or flavor. You can get Highland whiskeys. You can get Island whiskeys. There's a lot of different ones. Whereas bourbon, you have the centralized local area. It has to be made with a certain type of limestone water in a certain region aged in brand new oak barrels. And scotch utilizes, like the thrifty people that they are, utilizes what's already out there. So after the alcohol is all fermented and processed and they get that pure alcohol from the fermented barley, they put it in oak casks as well. But these are not new oak casks. The casks that scotch is aged in are often used bourbon casks, but they can also be used sherry casks, Madeira casks, so many different kinds. And that gives each whiskey a unique flavor because as it ages, it is absorbed and then pushed back into the barrel. And that gives it that beautiful amber color that you get. A lot of times whenever you get a scotch that is aged in a wine cask of some sort, it will have more of a red hue. Whereas if you get something that's aged in a bourbon cask, it's going to be more of a light color. You're also going to notice that in the flavors that it gives off. A lot of times something that's aged in a Madeira cask or something like that, a sherry cask, is going to have more of a fruity element to it, which are the ones that I generally like better than the smoky ones aged in bourbon barrels. It's a very interesting process making scotch whiskey. And it's one of the reasons that I like it so much compared to other alcohols, because you can get so many different flavors. Whereas bourbon, since it has such strict rules, most of it tastes the same. The only thing that makes it taste different, in my opinion, is when it's aged longer because it does have more of a smooth finish on it the longer that it is aged. 
A fun fact from Clanlands, and I wanted to put it in here because I thought, you know what? It's a little bit of history, and it definitely has something to do with food and drink. After the first taxes went into effect on whiskey in 1644 in Scotland, bootlegging and smuggling became extremely common, and that practice of bootlegging and smuggling went on for approximately 200 years. So there were illicit stills all over Scotland because whiskey was one of the primary sources of income and a lot of people made it for themselves and for their tenants. There was one story of how distillers would bury pipes for yards and miles to pump out the smoke from their stills way off in the distance to redirect excisemen that were out on the hunt to find or arrest these people that were making alcohol illegally. So I did think that that was really cool. And there was actually an intent on Sam's part whenever they were originally planning the outline for the show that they were going to have a whole episode slash talk about whiskey and the history of whiskey, not just its impact on today's culture and today's economy, because whiskey is the fifth largest export in the UK, which I thought was a really cool fact for them to include. But it also has a very steeped history in Scottish culture. And there's a reason that it's the national drink. The earliest written record of whiskey is in the Scottish Exchequer Rolls of 1494. So that is a very steeped history and they're very proud of it as they should be. It's a fantastic drink. With all of that, they do show a little bit of cutting peat and I thought that that was actually very interesting. Especially if you read the Outlander book, you know a little bit about peat, at least you've heard of it. And so to see a peat bog and to see them cutting peat was actually kind of interesting to me. Having heard of peat, I knew that it was used for fuel for heating homes, especially, you know, back in the day when there weren't a lot of other heating options. And really all it is, is just decayed plant matter that's thousands and thousands of years old. But what kind of piqued my interest about it was that they were talking about how some of these peat bogs are 25 meters deep and that the peat on top produces the most fragrance and flavor. So that's the one that you want to kind of smoke the barley for these whiskeys. But if you go deep down, that's the kind that you want to heat your home. So I thought that that was really cool. Wanted to make sure to talk about that, not only because of how educational it is, but because watching Sam trip trying to hop up over the little peat bog ledge um, was probably the most realistic thing that I saw the entire time I was watching this episode and could 100% as a klutz identify with that. So had to mention that. So with all of that, normally with my Outlander episodes, I do some little fun bit at the end to kind of summarize my thoughts. Since these episodes don't really have like a scripted story, they're more an education road trip type deal. I'm not going to do a grading or anything like that. I just want to appreciate the relationship that these guys have. So I'm going to do my favorite Sam shenanigans moment, which can either come from the show or Clanlands. And I'm also going to do a witty one-liner of the episode. So for me, the Sam shenanigan of the week 
was whenever they're on the fishing boat and they are getting ready to be done for the day. And he says, if you could take us back to shore, that would be great. Make it so. And then Graham looks at him and says, make it so. Have you been waiting to say that all day? And Sam looks at him and says, "Uh uh-huh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan because the captain of the ship is Captain Kirk. (laughs) And I just... I about died, okay? Sam is such a little nerd inside, and it makes my heart happy to watch that. As for the witty one-liner, it was actually when they're in the van on their way to Pit and Weem, and Graham goes, so the things we're fishing for today are, and Sam goes, mostly compliments about my driving. Anyway, so honestly, guys, that's one thing I love about this show. And I haven't watched this show since it first came out a couple of years ago. So it's good to revisit it. And I just love how much I laugh watching these two have a good time. And so I can't wait for season two. It's going to be great. So with that, that wraps up my talk on the first episode of Men and Kilts, Food and Drink. I am going to get into a little bit of Outlander news. Not much has happened since I did my last announcement section, but I did want to give you a heads up that Sam's new movie, Love Again, featuring Priyanka Chopra and Celine Dion, is going to come into theaters on May 12th, 2023. So make sure you mark your calendars for that. I'm actually really excited to see this film. And when I found out that he was going to be doing it with Priyanka Chopra and Celine Dion, I was sold. So I'm really excited. Hope you guys are too. No other Outlander news to date. I know they're back to filming and probably about in the last block. I don't know that for sure. I haven't had it confirmed, but based off of the timeline, they should be wrapping filming within the next six weeks or so. Make sure to join me next week for my second episode of the Men and Kilts series on Scottish sports, which ought to be a good one because you know me, I love some good sports. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Bye.